0: Ortho Fast Facts, your quick fix in orthopedics. Welcome everyone to the next episode of Ortho Fast Facts. So, this episode is aimed again at more senior orthopedic trainees and is a nice segue from the episode we previously had. On bone grafting which is the first bone episode this is about bone banking you need to know a little bit about bone banking for the frcs orth and for all exit exams and there's a lot of it that's covered in um, the book that i edited called basic orthopedic sciences but we'll cover the general facts that you need to know so what is bone banking well bone bank is when we take bone and bank it and uh, we keep it in a bank in order to provide bone to institutions and organisations that may require bone because human bone grafts are really only available in limited quantities. When you set up a bone bank, you need to have various processes in place. The first aspect is getting consent from the donor and the donors can obviously be living donors but they can also be cadavers. In terms of living donors, you need consent to cover the retrieval, the testing, but also access to the medical records of the patient that the bone is coming from. With cadavers the only prerequisite we really need is lack of objection from the next of kin. Once you've set up the consent process then the next part is screening. To screen donors we need to really look at the medical and behavioral history of, of the patient that the bone is coming from. Um, in, in terms of uh, uh, picking the certain donors you have to exclude donors that are at high risk. The exclusion criteria is usually obtained from the history from for example the next of kin for living donors and from general practitioners for cadavers. The sort of uh, diseases that exclude um, bone being bankable are infectious diseases such as HIV hepatitis B and C, malignancy, systemic disorders that can compromise the integrity of the graft such as rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune disease and long-term steroid treatment, and finally diseases of unknown origin, such as creutzfeldt jakob disease, which is a form of prion disease, P-R-I-O-N disease, uh, and also conditions such as Alzheimer's and multiple sclerosis. Blood tests are usually performed in living donors uh, to exclude many of these conditions such as Hep B, C, HIV, uh, but also uh, conditions such as syphilis and To get the recess status Uh, usually that's a dedicated practitioner who's required to counsel patients who are who are to be donors so so that's important to realize and once the bone has been uh, extracted um, these allografts have to be processed and the processing is done to remove superfluous protein cells and tissues and you're trying to decrease immune sensitization and prevent disease transmission it also allows the graft to be better preserved. There are many techniques, you just need to know a few of them. Uh, some examples include physical debridement to get rid of unwanted tissue, ultrasonic processing with, with or without pulsatile washers to remove remaining cells and blood, ethanol treatment to denature cell proteins and reduce bacterial and viral load, antibiotic soaks to kill bacteria, irradiation to sterilize tissue, but this can affect the mechanical strength as it alters, for example, collagen. And finally, deminorization, and that's uh, produced by acid extraction of allograft cortical bone, for example. Once you've processed the allograft, you preserve it. There are three main techniques. They're fresh, fresh-frozen, and lyophilized, otherwise known as freeze-dried. Fresh allograft preservation is uh, okay, but it's rarely used because it's mostly, it's the most immu- immunogenic form of treatment. Fresh frozen at at minus 70 degrees is is a good way of doing this. It has the least impact on mechanical strength uh, and decreases immunogenicity and preserves BMPs that are in the graft. And finally, lyophilized or freeze-dried can be used, which is the least immunogenic, uh, but it depletes the BMP and can structurally weaken the graft, but it does have the lowest likelihood of disease transmission. So, that, that's a great uh, overall summary of what you need to know, but it's worth knowing a few products that are available from Bone Bank. So, let's discuss uh, three or four of them. So, one commonly used product is fresh frozen femoral head. That's a whole femoral head retrieved from a living donor, which is unprocessed and is available only frozen. Uh, it's supplied to hospitals that collect fresh frozen femoral heads for tissue services when limited stock is available. Second product that we often use is cancellous cubes, approximately about a centimeter cubed in volume, and they're available freeze-dried and irradiated to packs of five. Uh, We also can get hold of cortical struts, which are big struts of cortical bone from femoral shafts cut to various lengths, and they're available as freeze-dried, frozen, often sterilized by gamma irradiation. And finally, you can get access to massive bone allografts, which are prepared with articular cartilage and soft tissue removed. They're available frozen and irradiated. small stock of proximal distal femora and proximal tibia normally maintained so that's a little bit about bone banking so remember you need to say a little bit about uh, consenting donors screening donors including exclusion criteria the ways that the allografts are processed and preserved and finally some examples of products that are available from bone banks I hope that's been helpful and adds to your growing knowledge of bone in Basic Sciences. This is a short podcast. Um, we'll be covering some topics in length and some in much shorter segments. Uh, make sure you listen to them when you're on your commute, when you're waiting between cases in theatre, uh, when you're going to bed. Might help you even get to sleep very quickly. Um, and make sure that you have that knowledge at your fingertips and at the tip of your tongue to recite back to the relevant examiner or trainer. See you on the next podcast.